so it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Welcome back to another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast and we have round nine in the books but there was a lot of drama off the field this week before we even got to some rugby and it's all centred around that man Israel Folau. It seems like only a little while ago, I think it was pretty much exactly a year ago that we had the controversy with him putting a bit of inflammatory things up on social media and causing a stir and I don't know whether it's just what he does to celebrate his winning records or the Waratahs buy it week but he was at it again posting a bit of a Bit of an inflammatory post up on Instagram. So I don't want to spend too long on this, boys. I've got Leo and Toby with me, obviously. Um, but five minutes, give us give us your opinion. What do you think about this? Yeah, I'm not a religious person myself. I don't know what the normal, what the standard beliefs are for uh, Israel's religion. But my understanding is it's, it is a like an evangelical style religion. So I think part and parcel of that is kind of getting your beliefs out there and being very enthusiastic and vocal and obviously uh, the beliefs are in conflict with what Rugby Australia has set out as their core beliefs and ethos and he he had a clear uh, sort of section in his contract we understand that he's not allowed to publicly come out and say things in, in conflict with Rugby Australia and New South Wales Rugby and that's what he's done for, to, for me that's, that's as simple as it gets it's He's, he's in breach of his contract. It's not a freedom of speech thing. It's not a anti-religion thing. He's he's permitted to have whatever beliefs he wants, but he, he can't come out as a representative of uh, Rugby Australia and New South Wales Rugby and say things in conflict with, with their, their code of conduct, and that's what it boils down to. Yeah, and they've been saying that he's pretty much had his contract more or less cancelled. There's still sort of ongoing arguments and debates it sounds like he is trying to fight for it and at this stage we've had Michael Checker come out today and by the time this podcast ends there'll probably be even more news so we'll know a bit more but saying that currently he would have um, no ability to pick him because he's not reinstated but it might be even hard for him to pick him uh, if that does change in the future. Yeah and that's I mean Checker usually kind of I think stays away from this kind of stuff but it's been such a big thing in the media that he needs to back Rugby Australia's stance. Um, Philau was interviewed on Sunday and basically said, look, I live for the church now and the church comes before, you know, rugby, my rugby career. So I think he'd be sad to leave the game, but I think he's willing at this this moment, if they were to stand by this decision, I think he's going to have to live with it and he's, he's probably going to have to move on because, you know, it's it's not something that we can take lightly anymore. They've kind of drawn a line in the sand now um, this is the second time in a year it's happened. He knew that it was going to be quite a big thing if he came out and did this again. So, I mean, what can you say about it anymore? It's just on top of this, uh, the ARL or the NRL, sorry, has, has come out and and said that they're they're not interested either. Like his mm-hmm. his beliefs that he's expressed aren't in line with with their code either. Uh, you got people in in Europe from from clubs over there calling him an idiot. 
Yeah, too long um, came out and said they wouldn't have be interested in signing him. And he's actually caught yeah. even players through Europe and the UK. People like uh, Billy Vunapola, I believe, came out in a bit of support to him and then was booed off the field on the weekend as well. So it's become an international problem. Yeah, and that's, again, people who share the same beliefs will come out and say, hang on, he's just expressing his beliefs. That's fair enough. We back that. But they're not um, you know, privy to the agreement that Rugby Australia and Israel have and, and not that we are particularly either with only what's been published. But to me, again, to me, it's, it's simple as you can believe whatever you want in private, but you're a representative of our business, of our code, of our product, and you cannot come out and and do things like this saying saying things that will offend and vilify people or, or groups of, of the community and they're not going to put up with it they're losing sponsors it's a it's a big hit to these these groups and i would say it's probably going to have much more of an impact i guess immediately on the waratahs rather than the wallabies i think the wallabies do have enough talent there to cover israel at the back um but look waratahs already having a pretty up and down season this could actually really take them off the rails a bit i reckon it could i reckon it could actually solidify things and possibly make it better because we keep changing the plan with falau i, I thought he was better on the wing i wanted to see beal at fullback i wanted to see if a game or two where that was happening that might be forced change now you're going to put beal at the at the fullback and you've used your aac and carmichael hunt combo in the centers might actually give them fewer options which means they have to pick and stick so doesn't it doesn't phase me if he's if he's in breach of his contract that's unfortunate but if he goes will they'll, they'll make do with what they've got it's interesting as well if, if bill does shift to fullback and then spends the rest of the season there because israel's gone that really i think helps him in terms of his wallabies claim for the, being in the 15 because i think at the moment he would have no chance at being picked at 12 so i think actually it it might boost his ability to kind of rebound from a, a mixed season as well so who are the top three candidates to take the 15 Wallabies jersey then if Falau's out of the picture? I mean, you've got people like who have played there before, like DHP, though he is injured at least for a couple more weeks. You, Toby, you're saying Kirtley Beal? Who else is there? Tom Banks. I think Kirtley's not... Yeah. I think Banks' is form... Hodge. Probably not there yet, but Hodge maybe. I think DHP is in line to take that. I think they've already kind of penciled him in. Um, I would imagine but it does depend on his fitness. And you've seen Hodge perform at that 15 position for the Rebels now. So there are a few options, but it's not particularly ideal. Um, but it may actually, for the, you know, the long term, the Wallabies, the way they play, may actually make them a little bit more, I guess, dynamic at the back rather than just having someone that's going to run it back. It's going to be interesting too. Where like we talk about Hodge and we talk about DHP. Like they're both at the Rebels. Only one of them is going to stay at fullback for the season, assuming they're both healthy. So um, that that may crystallise who's the stronger fullback. I still can't imagine DHP's going to end up pushing Hodge back in somewhere else into the back line. Uh, but, you know, other injuries can do other things. There's not really, aside from Tom Banks, I don't think there's another clear fullback out there. Beal may regress to fullback. The Reds aren't, aren't going to offer up Hamish Stewart for Wallaby's fullback. That's just not going to happen. So it's probably only three guys, really, whoever... whoever maintains at the Rebels and then Brumbies and Waratahs options. And finally, before we move on from this, uh, just yes or no from you guys, does Israel Folau play for Rugby Australia again for the Wallabies? No. No, don't think so. 
Yeah, it's not looking promising. I, I'm going to say... That's not a yes or a no. I'm going to say Don't be no. Michael Checker with says, us. Yeah. <laughs> I've just seen online that it says Rugby Australia has issued Wallaby's stars Ralph Falau with a termination notice. So he has 48 hours to comply and basically respond to that. Um, so he can accept it or contest that. So I don't know if that's new news or not. Um, but basically if he... You know, you can have the matter refer to a code of conduct hearing or you can accept the sanction. So, high-level breach notice. There you go. Some breaking news there. Um, other news we had last week and some better news. Brad Thorne signed on until the end of next year. So, a bit of uh, probably relief for some of those Queensland Reds to know they're not having a chop and change in their coaching structure that he's been trying to put in place. Um, they pushed Matt Guido on Friday night on Fox Sports to push whether he was actually offered the attacking position for Wallabies, but he said he has not been contacted at all, though would be happy to help out in any way. Um, and other than that, um, we had a bit of a announcement from Major League Rugby just about their expansion teams in 2020, which looks like an interesting prospect with three new teams coming in uh, from Washington, D.C., New England Free Jacks and uh, Rugby Atlanta as well. And a really good, uh, straightforward-looking conference system planned for when those teams become active. And again, just another example of how Super Rugby have made such a farce of all the different forms and systems and conferences and change over time. And uh, I think we've tried to emulate the Americans in that vein, but we just haven't got it right. Meanwhile, they've started their new comp. They've got 12 teams, an East and a West conference. Easy familiarity with... Uh, the East and the West uh, conferences with NBA and I mean AFC, NFC with NFL and and others and and when they come to finals, the top teams go through second place, third for a spot. Then the sort of the conference finals played and then it's East versus West. Mm. Super straightforward, no confusion. Top three teams in each conference get a shot no matter what. So you know, a nice straightforward system. I hope Super Rugby when we eventually get a, a form that sticks for more than two years can come up with something such you know so straightforward yeah the americans definitely seem to know how to do that conference system uh best but let's get into the rugby from the weekend we spent long enough not talking about it and we'll start with our players of the round and a little bit of a down week for a lot of our australian teams but so i think we're going to find a few more internationals again uh leo why don't we start with you who was your player of the round my player of the round is the hulking lock from the Bulls, uh, Rudolf Snyman. I don't know what the correct pronunciation is, but it's his first game back on the weekend, a strong win over the Reds, and just a really big, strong lock who's active with the ball, offloading, you know, making making breaks and, and giving the ball the right time and, and helping that team, you know, get in behind the defense and, and put on a bunch of points, so... He's definitely one that will be under consideration for Springboks honours later in the year. Uh, now that he's back one to watch and keeping the Bulls at the top of the conference. Yeah, he really burst on the scene last year and got onto that Springbok screen. And yeah, he's straight back into it work. Uh, Toby, what about you? Um, I've gone for Ruin Nell, number 13 for the Stormers. And, you know, the Stormers were undermanned on the weekend. They had a good win in Melbourne. Um, and he was central to that, I thought. <clears throat> He basically had two tries. He had 119 run meters, six runs, four clean breaks. Um, and yeah, just took control of the game and really defended well in that 13 position. So I was impressed by him. 
Yeah, definitely. And we're going to keep it in the South African conference, but not in South Africa because my player of the round is Pablo Matera, uh, the back rower for the Haguaras that had another big win and they really seem to be changing a bit of their fortunes at the moment. But he was immense in defence and also showing his speed and uh, getting a 60-metre chip and chase try as well, uh, but was all over the park and just really epitomised the Haguaras' sort of effort and defensive effort, especially in this game, um, to take down a team they would definitely set up to be the underdogs of and losing it. But we'll get into the actual recaps of the round and we'll start with those uh, Rebels and Stormers on Friday night and the Stormers taking this one 24-41. The Stormers putting on 41 points in Melbourne and they just seem to out-enthuse the Rebels in this one. Yeah, really impressed that the Stormers had this much energy at the end of a long tour, which hasn't been successful. Uh, but they, they definitely made the most of every bit of possession they got um, they definitely didn't have the run of it either. Like the the rebels, if you look just just through stats on this game, you would you would think that the rebels would have blown them away. The scoreline would have been the opposite way around. They had you know all the ball, all the meters, but um, in the end, the the stormers' back three particularly were lethal. They were really really um, quick and direct in in the counter attack, returning any of the kicks that the rebels didn't find touch. And just carved them up, just just beating tackles left, right, and center, and and that was really the rebels' downfall was the proportion of tackles to missed tackles. They missed about two in five tackles, and they just can't afford to do that. They only had to make probably eighty tackles, and they and they in the whole game, and they missed about thirty. So pretty hopeless there. A team that should have really had had the uh, role and the momentum on the on the Stormers, and they just couldn't put them to bed, couldn't couldn't hold them out. Yeah, I think basically the Stormers' defence was what won them the game and then being able to really capitalise on those few opportunities they had. But I think the Rebels just lacked the energy, lacked the enthusiasm. They weren't as good in contact. I've, I felt like they were down on energy a bit overall. And I'm not sure they would have been thinking this would have been an easy game. Um, but I think through the middle, they missed guys like Matt Phillip. I actually think I noticed him being out. Um Jack Maddox, again, look, probably wouldn't have made the difference, but he wasn't there either. He would have scored that um, try, so though. The one that... He would have, yeah. yeah, he would have... Who scored, to, which, to I mean... Butchered, which may have made all the difference at that point in the yeah. game. Well, that's true. It's it's little moments like that that you think, okay, we take that for granted week to week, and then a, a guy that's been performing really well steps out. Another guy with a lot of ability comes in and, and butchers a pretty easy catch there. Um, and you could see how disappointed Quaid was. So at, the, at that point in time, you know, that could have been something that would push them forward if he had held on to that one. But, you know, guys like Meeks, I thought, was a little bit quiet. Um, so just in general, I think Luke Jones had a pretty poor game. He dropped the ball a fair bit, made some questionable passes. Um, so it's that consistency with these guys that, you know, are looking for a wallaby berth. They need to be performing. And credit to the Stormers, though, like they're... they're game plan to take out the rebels and 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 really confront them with that flat attacking line that they bring they were right up in their face they had men committed to each guy who could potentially get the ball and they were driving them back the rebels were having real trouble getting the ball to that that flat runner and crossing the game line and and it was just that aggressive fast line speed and and as a whole as a full line not just sending one guy out to kind of pressure the ball carry but the whole Stormers line was coming forward and taking away that space and that time and a lot of the turnovers and handling errors I think were generated from that and they kept that up for long enough to frustrate the Rebels 
again, like you said, you get the the winger dropping the what looks like an easy crossfield catch, you know, catch and score, fall over the line that someone like Jack Maddox would have for breakfast. But um, and all those little things, it just made me question, um, like Quaid's, um, you know, just his his. What's the word? Game, game management? Composure. No, not game management. Yeah, it made me question Quaid's composure a bit. Like, when everything's going right, he's great, obviously. We know that. And we've seen them tested a few times where he and Genia particularly have had to lift and drive the forwards and really, you know, grab the grab the game by the horns and, and finish it properly. This game, they never really quite got way out in front. They never quite got the momentum um, because of the Stormers' defense. And when things like that, which... He's probably going, oh, look, I've done everything I can. This is a gimme, and the guy's dropped it. You know, it starts to unsettle, and it only took sort of to that mid- midway through the game for them to really lose lose hope a bit, and the Storm has just rolled them. Yeah, it seemed like they yeah. were a little bit predictable in their game plan, and, like, they had people like Luke Jones not playing up to standard. Izzy Nicerani really disappeared in this game, and Meeks sort of had a poor game, but... They were just very readable in what they were doing. They were trying to get this momentum off these short runners, these forward runners, and then they were looking for when they got a good forward hit and good momentum, then they would swing out the backs, but they never got a chance to really swing it out wide, and these outside backs hardly got a touch on it. And I don't know whether it was there is just an inability for from Genia and Cooper to sort of recognise that, but I think they did need to sort of adjust and get a bit more depth and try and try and do a few different things and try and either go around or put a few yeah. chip kicks over the top and just try and turn around that Storm's defense. I agree. Best. And you, you yeah. look at like Nicerani and Luke Jones had like nearly 40 carries between them. Like they, they just kept pumping it to those big forward runners and they were not making the meters. So it, it, they definitely needed to change tack and, and interesting that they didn't. Yeah, and that might show the way forward for any... For any other team that's actually trying to get on top of the Rebels, when they're playing so flat like that, if you take away the space, if you get your rush defense right, you can really shut them down. And maybe at this point they're not willing to adjust because they think that that system you know, can work if they just do it properly. And I think Vessels said that up just after halftime. He said, you know, we have to be better in these, these areas. They're going to kind of stick with their plan, I think. And... Um, yeah, it just shows that they do need to be adaptable if teams do take away the space like that. Yeah, well, the Rebels now go up to Sydney to face their probably biggest opponents in this conference in the Waratahs, while the Stormers get to head back home to Cape Town. So that'll be a nice way for them to finish off their uh, tour and they'll get back a lot of their sort of big forwards, at least, with like Khaleesi, Peter Steptotoid and Eben Epsabeth um, coming back into that squad as well. Next game we probably should talk about on the Saturday night and the Brumbies hosting the Lions. And Brumbies had to really withstand a lot of pressure early in this game from the Lions, but they managed to hold out and they came back strong and won this one 31-20. And this was a much more balanced game. You're right, the, the Brumbies did have to hold out uh, the Lions, who, who were strong in parts. Um, both teams missing a lot of tackles, but um, you know they, they didn't let the score run up too hard. The Brumbies at home are still a strong defensive unit. And their, and their forwards were pretty strong still. They they pinched a bit of ball at the line out and, and took some scrums off the lines, which always helps. So still the Brumbies falling back when times are tough, falling back into that strong set piece and strong forwards game, um, which, which yeah, really, really held them in good stead to grind this one out. And 41 missed tackles by the Lions. That's remarkable. 
I mean, you're just saying Lions, they've still, I think, I saw this team named and I thought, you know, this is a danger game for the Brumbies. I thought it would be really tough. But, look, the Brumbies still have a fair bit of resilience in them and they still are playing hard. I mean, this Australian conference is still poised that, you know, anyone can kind of start to challenge the Rebels. So I think the Reds, Brumbies and Waratahs all do have some hope here. So I think that's that's probably good halfway through the season. There's no one that's out of it at the moment. What did you think of uh, Tom Wright getting that start at 12? Uh, he's had one start previously this round, but he did a fair bit with it despite getting uh, yellow carded early in this game. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a good selection. He's a very direct, hard, abrasive runner and defender, and that comes from his league background as well. He's got a that that edge to him. Um, it's unfortunate that he started the game off so poorly with that tip tackle, but he really recovered well after that and came into the game well. Yeah, he was dangerous enough in attack and and a few few t- turnovers in the card, but you know that's just a a bit shaky. But I'm sure he'll get another run there and and. They again. I want to see them pick and stick, and try and try and develop a player and develop a combination. That's what Christian Lealefano needs outside him. And Tom Wright's got enough of a, a ball player in him. He's not just a big direct runner. Should be able to feed some good passes out to Banks and out to Kurandrani to to make some some meters and some runs in in games coming up. Mm. It it shows you as well. I mean, they they don't have the trust with Simone, do they? No. They, the same thing happened at Tars. He had the he got a number of starts and they've done this twice now where they've started him for three or four games and then they've sat him down on the bench. So they've done this twice over the course of the season, the Brumbies. And I don't know, I think he's just a little bit too inconsistent for them to be um, given the 12 role long term. Yeah, I think you might be right there. Tom Wright's got a background in rugby league and he's come over from Manly um, Sea Eagles and he looks like he's picking up the game pretty well, really. Uh, obviously played it more as a youngster as well. The one thing this probably solidified in my mind, especially in terms of Wallaby selection, is James Slipper is definitely the number one prop in Australia at the moment. Their scrum was faltering a little bit um, with Scott C on the field, but they brought in some of these guys. They brought in uh, James Slipper into the fold, and he really just changed it. And not only that, his actual performance just in, in loose fields and his carries and also handling uh, was just better than what anyone else is really offering at that especially at that loose head position at the moment. Yeah, it's a bit of a concern with CO. He was so good in years past, and I don't know if it's the injury that's kind of hampered in this season, but he just hasn't shown any sort of form at all. Um, and to have 50 minutes of play, two runs for one metre in terms of carries, that's just uncharacteristic for him. He's usually a prop that is willing to carry the ball, and he's pretty active around the field. So hopefully he can turn that around in the next few rounds so that he's clearly in the picture for Wallaby selection. Yeah, it's definitely there's a bit of a drought out there. Like there's there's not a lot of players holding up that that one number one jersey. Like Harry Johnson Holmes has been solid for the Waratahs, but you know definitely definitely very fresh to be pulling into a Wallabies outfit. Um, and yeah, to see Co falter like he was he was the default easy number one pick, and then really you're you're looking at the bench and we've moved people around between tight and loose head and tried to cover ourselves, which I don't really like. I want to see sort of strong specialists picked in their positions. Um, James Slipper's definitely in there um, with with a good chance now. And then, again, another player who's uh, found a, a fresh lease on life at another club after Brad Thorne excluded him last year. Speaking of Brad Thorne, we'll go to the Reds game, and they were over in Pretoria playing the Bulls, and 
despite holding out really well early and not letting the Bulls get too many points on them, they just couldn't really capitalise on their own chances. And it was really Karevi once again being the sort of shining light in the team. Uh, the Bulls still winning this one, 32 to 17 in the end. Yeah, the Bulls just steadily built their lead. Like they're, they're not a um, they're not a fickle team. Like they're they're, they're happy to just play direct, bide their time, be patient, and they've got the they've got the Springbok types in in that team, the leadership group to to maintain calm and and just work on this Reds team. And if the Reds team, after travelling and and uh, playing. Uh, against a much more mature seasoned group of players compared to the Reds' uh, relatively young side, they they tip, typically hold out on a bit of adrenaline and 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 rarely do they finish a game. So the Bulls would know that, and and they've just kept at them, kept at them. Like I said, Karevi had a strong game. Uh, Hegarty I thought wasn't too bad either, but really it was all the all the Bulls gradually. And this it wasn't it wasn't a flashy showy affair. It was just good solid sensible rugby out of them and and. Keeping keeping this away team from from rolling them at home, they don't need anything to steal some momentum from them. They're there trying to lock up that conference. Yeah, it's hard to say what exactly the Reds will be looking to take away in this this game or or for next week. Tough tour for them going forward. You'd think that they're probably not going to be able to take home any points, but they want to take some lessons home. I mean, it's a very as much as they resist trying to say it whenever you talk to any Reds player. They are a bit of a young, inexperienced team, and a lot of them haven't been on uh, tour to South Africa, tour to Argentina before. So I think just the experience, they'll take a lot, a lot out of that in any case. I think they should focus on what they're doing well as units. So like the the forwards are a good unit of guys. Like they obviously hang out a lot together, and they're and they're there's combinations developing there, and you can see that their lineouts and their scrums are having having their shining moments. Like they're not always super consistent but they are you know they're facing up against guys in the spring box in this bulls team and and they did have some success there so they've got to take that away and think okay what 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 do we do well what what can we work on keep it simple like young players don't overcomplicate things um we're talking about well we will talk about the crusaders and and other teams that much more uh this year i'm thinking that um a lot of a lot of simple things add up to something much more complicated and and um, successful in these small teams. If you just focus on doing the basics right and do them a lot, then you're much better off with that than trying to do something overly complicated. And and again, that's the that's the lessons for the backs. Just keep going direct with Karevi, get the ball out the back when there's space, when there's when there's numbers advantage, mm-hmm. and and don't don't try and create too much out of nothing. Just just work on your fundamentals because, you know, six simple passes is a much more complex move uh, than, than a ball to 12. But it's also much more straightforward to execute than, you know, two, two wraparounds and a cutout pass. Like, just work it through the hands, look for the space, simplify your rugby. And, and they, they, can, they can come away with, you know, at the very least some sort of finishes within seven points, maybe a bonus point here or there. Who knows? They might steal a draw if they're lucky, but... You're right. I think that they need to prepare to just, you know, cop what's coming and and just try and get out of it as much as they can as a unit. So when they come home, they're they're playing strong together. Mm. Look, let's go back and talk about. It. You mentioned before the Crusaders and they hosted the Highlanders at home on Friday afternoon, and it was a big win for them, forty-three to seventeen, and it was their twenty-fourth win at home in a row uh, for the Crusaders. But 
Again, we saw them just a little bit shaky in that first half, a little bit vulnerable. That's two weeks in a row. They haven't quite done what they needed to in that first half and had left themselves a lot of work in the second. Yeah, but they're so consistent. They, they're still that sensible, mature team. It's wise enough to know, all right, that hasn't worked, but don't lose faith. Keep, keep the plan. Um, and, and again, execute lots of simple things that are low risk, but when you add it all up, uh, phase after phase, it gets very difficult to defend against. And the Highlanders, by by the counter, were, were trying a lot of things. They were playing with a lot of energy, playing for Ben Smith's 150th Super Rugby game, a uh, bit of a milestone for him. And and you could see that they were enthusiastic. They're bringing the energy. They're spreading it wide, doing this classic Highlanders where they've got barely any ball, but they're counterattacking and, and making a lot of meters. But they ran out of puff, and, and it's just that the nature of the Crusaders – 15 guys doing the simple things right, not showing too many weaknesses and just steady as she goes for 80 minutes. I feel like they're almost like a really good boxer. You know, they fill you out for the first half of the game. They're just kind of finding your reach, kind of working you out. And then they, they slowly just bring it into the game and, and turn up the heat when they need to. Um, and they did that last week, obviously, as well. Um, but I think if they, if they take this approach with a really good side say someone like the Hurricanes who can just take the game away from you in, you know, 10, 15 minutes, that could be the danger that if they get 20 points behind, it might be difficult to catch up. At the moment, they're getting, you know, 7-0 down, 10-0 down, and that's kind of still what, you know, within reach for them. They can score, you know, so quickly as well, but they do have to be mindful of that and, and not wait till the second half all the time to actually pull the trigger. I think that's a really good analogy, actually. Like, it's, it is the season boxes, feeling you out, see what this opponent's got and just keep things um, within range, uh, not let not let someone with a lot of energy and enthusiasm and adrenaline blow you out too early and then just run them down. Just you work them out and you keep keep to what your strengths are and defend what they're bringing. The, the most successful teams against Crusaders have come with a lot of energy and just tried to blow them way out uh, before they get a chance to settle into their rhythm. And we saw the Waratahs do that last year, didn't mm, we? Exactly. And then they, they put like 28 points on them early and we thought, wow, this is amazing. And then yeah. eventually the Crusaders ran them down. Mm. One and thing it's is, just, you almost can't score too many points. Like you should not stop. Today. If you actually get some momentum and get them on the back foot, you've just got to keep hammering them because they just won't die. <laughs> They're zombies. Zombies. The one thing they probably do need to work on, though, is uh, discipline. In this one, they had 17 penalties to five to the Highlanders, and they were very lucky only to concede a yellow card in, like, the 80th minute, despite the ref giving them several warnings from about 20 minutes out, and then just nothing happened for some reason. I don't know whether that's just a credit to being Crusaders and the red shirt just seemed to stop the ref reaching to the pocket. And they keep happening, like, in the, in the like, attacking zone for the Highlanders, and it's... It's always someone different, and it's always a slightly different penalty. Like you get hit for offside a couple of times, and then it's someone not rolling at the ruck, and then it's oh, it's an accidental high tackle. Oh, well, that's a one-off. That was, you know, we can't mm. give you a yellow for that. That's unusual. And yeah, they do seem to have a bit of a charm on that. And and the ref said it in the in the second half. I think he said that oh, you know, it's been a while, so we, we sort of start the count again. And the Highlanders. Ben Smith's just going, what do, you, what do you mean? This is what they do. <laughs> and they just get away with it. But, oh, well, if it works, again, as long as it's consistent and the same rules apply to everyone, then you can't really complain. You've just got to 
you've got to bear with it. Maybe they've got to be more willing to slow the ball down on the Crusaders' side as well. I mean, the All Blacks do that too. It's the same kind of thing. They just they will infringe in different areas, um, and it never adds up to a yellow card, really. They're just yeah. clever at doing that. I mean, there was one at the end of this game, but still, you know, it's, minutes. it's a skill. It's, it's, yeah, it's definitely something that they're, they're very mindful of. They don't just go into a ruck, you know, making the same mistakes over and over. They make very clever adjustments, um, but they still ride that line pretty closely and they, they do push, push it as far as it can go because this is, I think this is a thing with the Crusaders, even if they're not, in form in one part of the game, they recognize that and they don't panic. That's the thing. A lot of other teams will panic. They just have such faith in their systems. They make small adjustments and suddenly they're back on top. So, I mean, you can't fault them. What a team. Um, And it's going to be, I think they're still going to be really hard to beat for the rest of the season. Like they just seem to be, Mm. you know, bar the fact we had that tragedy in Christchurch, they seem to have come out of that maybe even stronger um, and look, they're just going to keep rolling. Yeah, definitely. And they've still got these young guys coming up. Will Jordan now tied for top try scorer with Rico Ioani and, uh, and Jack Maddox now, all of those on eight points. But congrats to Ben Smith on that 150th game and was in all aspects of the game. He scored the opening try for the Highlanders and kept going the whole game. He really wanted this one, uh, but he's... But unfortunately for him, I don't think he's going to have much much victory, tasting a victory until he gets the, the black jersey on this year. Oh, at least when he gets Aaron Smith back, he's got more opportunity. Like They, they definitely missed Aaron Smith in this yeah. game. Yeah, very true. We'll move on to the Chiefs and Blues game on Saturday afternoon. and We don't do it very often, but yeah. I want to give a shout-out to Angus Gardner first off. He was refing in this game, and I'm pretty sure I've never seen a game actually flow so well. It got to about 60 minutes into the game, and I thought it should have been 80 minutes in because I'd actually seen a full game of rugby already, and there were 20 minutes to go. So I really think he managed this one really well, and it made for a really enterprising game. Chiefs taking this one by four points in the end. It was a really close-fought battle, 33-29. to 29. I thought you were going to congratulate Toby on tipping with a margin, like, like he's, because he doesn't do it very often. They're going to give him no, I'm raps. still ahead of you, aren't I? So. <laughs> Not in not in matches tipped. But Actually, sure. you, you're criticising my margin picks. It's you who has the poor margin picks. Boys, you're, boys, yeah, can we stop stop arguing? I'm on top of all this of you. This year I've been terrible. In, in my eyes, that. you're all losers, so it's all right. It's okay. Yeah, of course. Just wait, mate. You just wait. <laughs> You've been saying that all year. Uh, halfway, halfway. No, this is another game where we had like a team with a lot of possession, a lot of meters, a lot of positive stats that, that looks like they, they should have built a lot of points and, and got the win. But the Chiefs were just defiant and, and did a lot with a little. Um, they were missing tackles just like the Blues. Like They were, they were still fairly uh, patchy in defense. But when they, when they had the ball, they executed well. Uh, the Blues, too many turnovers, handing ball back to that Dynamics Chiefs team. And to be honest, I, I think this game ended up being close because we lost Damian McKenzie about halfway through. Yeah, and it's, it sounds like from uh, stories today saying that that apparent knee injury is going to turn out to be an ACL for McKenzie. So looks like his Super Rugby season and um, most likely World Cup hopes uh, are gone for 2019, unfortunately, which is very sad to hear. Yeah, that's, you know, 
It's terrible for the Chiefs and also the All Blacks. He's he's definitely someone who would have been in that All Blacks 23. So, you know, our thoughts go out to him, particularly in a World Cup year. It's a it's a big deal to miss that. So, um, we're going to miss his play as well. Like we saw early on in this game, he was he was pretty pretty good as well. His brothers playing well. They're they're forming a good combination, or they were um, at the Chiefs. So, Chiefs will need to make a few more adjustments now. Um, and we saw when McKenzie was out of the team. They were really struggling earlier on in the season. So, um, yeah. But for me, I think this game was, Archie, you said it to me, it was probably the game of the year so far. So if you have a chance, go go back and watch it because it, it really had everything. And it was full throttle for the whole game. Um, action-packed. And I think it really speaks to how far the Blues have come along. I think that, you know, running 600, 600-odd metres in this game, you know, there are... And a, a team that's basically building, they build pressure and they do have talent across the park now to execute. Um, a Terry Black, Black looks like he's, he's more of a game manager now. He's not really imposing himself too much on the game, but he makes sure that that back line gets plenty of ball and it's mm. free-flowing, so it's good to see. Um, I think the Blues are going to pick up quite a few more wins this year. You see them just... They have confidence now, I think, amongst the team. Um, and I think... Patrick Tuapalotto's had a lot to do with that in terms of really bringing that those forwards together well. I think I think a big part of it's the the discipline. Like they they're not getting too frustrated when they're when they're close or chasing. They they're keeping themselves in the game because they're not giving the ball away with silly penalties and and loose play. Like there very few penalties conceded by the Blues in this game. I think they actually yeah they had one less than the than the Chiefs. It was eight to seven, and the the Blues were a you know, 12, 15 point, uh, sorry, 12, 15 penalty type team when, when things weren't going right. So really, again, it's that that's that understanding of each other, a bit of maturity, a bit of patience that's developing and, and that's going to get more ball in their hands. And like in this game, they had plenty of ball, but they just didn't quite execute and get the points. Akira Ioane also stood up a bit more in this game, had that good sort of break off the back of the scrum. I was thinking about this the other day and I know like there's the guys that have been you know, the All Blacks back row for a while, people like Kieran Reid, people like Liam Squire being in it. But can you imagine these big young boys that have come and stood up this year? So you have a back row of someone like Artie Sevilla, Shannon Frizzell, and Akira Iwani as like the All Blacks-like back row. How intimidating would that be? Oh, very. But we haven't I mean, seen Akira Iwani yeah. around the All Blacks much, have we? He doesn't. He doesn't tend to get picked very often. Yeah. I think he's, he's only has been he played ad- a game for them. No, he hasn't played. He's only been added no. to the squad recently for some World Cup training session things. So mm. he's yet to get a cap, but I think I think it's definitely coming this year. And they've gone conservative. They generally go for someone like Luke Whitelock, who probably doesn't have as many errors in his game, but also doesn't offer as much of a dynamic running game. So. Akira seems to be really consistent this year, um, building upon the form that he, he was really showing towards the end of uh, last season in Super Rugby. Um, I think there's still quite a few guys that are going to be competing for that number eight jersey, obviously Kieran Reid as well. Um, but you'd have to think with the form he's showing, he'll definitely be in the team this year and hopefully gets his opportunity. Let's move on to the last game of the round. and We had the Sharks versus the Hagiwaras and... Again, we mentioned earlier, and the Sharks were thought to be winners after coming up big in Johannesburg last weekend, but at home in Durban, they faltered to a Hagiwaras team that is looking better and better. 
uh, winning this one 51 to 17. And the Hags just capitalized early on mistakes and they really shut down the midfield, I think, with Esterhausen and Lucania Am not really doing much for the Sharks here. And Rob Dupree really looked off song, but big ups to the Haguaras, especially their centers, Orlando and De La Fuente. Yeah, this one was really out of the blue for me. Like, uh, the, another game where the winning team has had like the vast minority of possession, but they've run up 51 points and, and barely had the ball. Like the, the Sharks at home, I couldn't have predicted this in in any any scenario. Even even a strong touring Haguaras team this is a real surprise. But you know, again, they they put up in defence. They they held the the team out and and took their opportunities when they came. Um, more more back into the kicking and play type attack of the of the Haguaras, like a bit more uh, free flowing and creative. But um, you know, did all the right things at, at scrum time as well, and, and stole a bunch of lineouts. That's that's all positives and more possession. But amazing to do so much with so little. I mean, this is pretty special by the the Haguaras winning two out of two on tour. I'm sure that hasn't happened for them before, um, and now they've got the buy. So they what? They won four. They out did of four. four from four last year, and this isn't really tour. They went to New Zealand and Australia and won four from four last year. Not in year. South Africa. You just said on tour. No, not in South Africa. You technically, said they're tour. not. I'm technically, they're not on tour. Sorry. That's what I meant in South Africa. Yeah, I don't think they've ever won in Durban on before. I was yeah. more just saying winning two games in a row in South Africa. That's all. Yeah. Saying, so. Well, any team, any team going good. <laughs> South Africa and winning two from two is impressive. Even the Crusaders and Hurricanes and those strong teams don't often do that. But also, I mean, look, Haguar is winning when the Sharks had put up 42 points on the Lions last week. And then to come in after beating the Bulls at altitude and winning against a hot Sharks team, you know, with limited possession, I think it really bodes well for the rest of their season. They've got the bye next week and... Um, yeah, you can just see them really playing with confidence, and they, they're not making as many errors in their game. I just think they're they're a much more settled team. Um, with my I boy Dominigo Miotti. Yeah, well, there you go. You called it last week. Archie got the start, and he he didn't really put a foot wrong here as well. He's mm-hmm. um, he's looking good, and maybe that's the future for them, um, which is something you kind of pointed to last week. Um, but yeah, taking the taking a win against the Bulls and then the Sharks, such yes. good results for them. And now they've got they've got plenty of time to prepare for the Brumbies coming over in a couple of weeks' time. So let's get on to this coming week in round ten. We're already there in double digits, and we'll have a few games to go through. This starting from Friday afternoon, and uh, we have the Chiefs versus the Lions in Waikato. Yeah, this is an interesting one for me. The Lions. Still have, I think, a bit to give here. And with the Chiefs now missing McKenzie, I think this will be a quite a close game. I've got to take the Chiefs at home, coming off a good win against the Blues, but I think the Lions will really put it to them, and I think it's a danger game for the Chiefs for sure. Yeah, the Chiefs are going to be a bit you know, depressed, I'm sure, without Damian McKenzie, and that's going to force a reshuffle. Um, someone like Alamalo, I assume, goes to fullback. Uh, Marty McKenzie would stay at 10. Um, just, you know, more... More injury devastation for the Chiefs, who are already running last in that conference. And uh, to be honest, I think I think the Lions can probably do this one. I'm, I'm actually feeling like they're probably in a better spot uh, than the Chiefs. They're they're running a bit healthier, and and they'll feel like they were in the fight last week. And they'll want to get something out of this tour. Yeah, it's it's one of those games you could definitely see the Lions coming out strong when 
and running really hard and putting on a lot of points early. Uh, the word is that they should be getting their captain Warren Whiteley back in the team this week, and so they'll probably be bolstered by him and potentially Quagga Smith in the back row. Uh, despite all that, uh, I'm really tossing up. I think I think I'm going to take the Chiefs at the moment, but I think we'll we'll have a look at what squad the Lions actually named because I think it'll definitely be a pretty close one. This one, next game, and that's on uh, Friday evening, and that's from Tokyo and the Sunwolves and the Hurricanes and both these teams coming off a bye and the Sunwolves be looking to put a bit of pressure on the the Wellington boys. Yeah, and I expect the Hurricanes will, will have the number of the Sunwolves on this one. The Sunwolves playing well at home, but the Hurricanes still a class above. Uh, the the sorry, the Sunwolves have still only got the two wins and they are a better a better team in Tokyo. Uh, Hurricanes are chasing the Crusaders and making sure they're in touch with the top of the conference. I think they'll they'll have the number here. Yeah, I'm picking a bit of a blowout. We saw these teams come together uh, last year and the Canes won by 28 points and two years ago the Hurricanes won by 60. So I think the Canes will Oof. take this pretty easily. I reckon they may well have a bit of a tri-fest. You might see Lamarpi come again with another hat-trick or something if he gets named. And yeah, they'll win by 30 to 40. Yeah, you got to you got to think Hurricanes by plenty, but it's just a question of how many guys they rest. I think this definitely would be a game that they'd be considering leaving some guys out for that mandatory rest break. Um, but yeah, having a look at the team sheets, you got to be probably picking a margin here of twenty to thirty points, I reckon. Big one, and on Friday night we get a South African game, a rarity for us. Uh, but the Sharks in Durban hosting the Reds for their second tour game. I think it's a game. The Sharks just seem a bit like what the Reds and Brumbies are doing, this inconsistency, and they'll have one week on, one week off sort of thing. And they've had the down week last week, and I'm sure uh, Papa Dupree's been getting into all his sons and all the other boys in the team, and he will be getting them well and truly fired up for this one. Uh, the Reds the Reds forwards will have a, a hard task on their pack, uh, a hard task on their back trying to stop this big Sharks pack. So I think Sharks will definitely take this one. Tell you missed me. a great opportunity for a rhyme there, Arch. What what rhyme could I have done? <laughs> the, the, put have the a hard task the... on their back against the sharks pack. Disappointed in you. Disappointed. You're gonna get put on the rack. Cop a bit of slack. Yeah, don't start now. Don't start now. <laughs> you don't like my sweet rhymes? Toby, save us with your analysis. <laughs> oh man. Look I agree it's hard. It is hard. It's, it's not it's hard. hard. Actually, it's South African games. Who who knows what's really going to happen? Fifty percent um, of teams on games with one South African team. Flip a coin. Yeah, flip a coin with the Reds involved as well. But yeah, I'm I'm taking the Sharks in this one. I think they'll bounce back from a pretty disappointing performance against the Aguaros, leaking that many points. The Reds have a tough time scoring. I think it's going to be a really physical, abrasive battle with the Fords up front. The Reds really need to come out fired up because I think the Sharks' backs do have a few more trump cards in there than the Reds. So um, I'm taking the Sharks probably by 10 at least. Yeah, I'll be taking the Sharks as well. Probably a bit more than that. I'd, the, the young Reds on tour, um, it's it's interesting. There's, there's a chance they, they come in and, and play really well as a unit, but I think a young team like that, inexperienced on tour, probably enjoying the safaris and... And it's hard to bring a lot of energy for these games, especially when the Sharks will come out really rough and, and, and strong early and, and try and just um, bowl them out over the park. So 
I, th- I think the Sharks will definitely take this, and it'd be nice to see the Reds have a strong first half, even if they lose their way a bit in the second. Saturday afternoon, and other Highlanders heading back to Forsyth Bar, and they host the Blues. So two teams coming off close losses last weekend. Uh, tough one to pick here. This is really tough. I think these teams are are closer than we think, even though the Highlanders of late haven't been performing too well. Um, down there at home, they're really tough to beat. So, I don't know. I mean, my heart's kind of saying blues by a few, but I think the smart pick in this one might be to take the Highlanders by two or three points. Um, I think I'm going to have to wait to see the team sheets, but I'm leaning towards the Highlanders. I actually have a bit more faith in the Highlanders. I, I always underestimate their forward pack. I think, oh, you know, they've got a, a sprinkling of backs and, and the forwards are, are okay without being amazing, but they always surprise me. They always hold their own. And, and the Blues are, again, they're lifting, but the, the Highlanders must be thinking, you know, this is this is a dangerous team. We can't underestimate them. It's not going to be a trap game for them. They're at home. They want to get one for Ben Smith again, and, and hopefully they've got Aaron Smith back. Assuming a full-strength Highlanders team, I'd actually I'd give them a you know one to two try margin. I think Aaron Smith is still a couple of weeks away after that ankle injury. Uh, I think they said he would be out for about six weeks total, so I think he's about four weeks or so now. Um, I agree, it's going to be a really close one. I think I'm going to put my money on the Blues, though. I think they've just shown a real uh, maturity in the last couple of weeks and an ability to stay in matches and hold out teams. And I think if they hold on to the ball and they keep on their possession, they'll they'll be able to capitalise on... A few things that maybe they didn't do quite well enough as the Chiefs last week, but they can get a win down there at Forsyth Bar. Next game we have is the Waratahs taking on the Rebels, and this out of the Sydney Cricket Ground in, on Saturday evening, and battle for the top of the Australian Conference here. Funnily enough, my app says this is at Allianz, so that could be an interesting battle on the on the builders' rubble. Yeah, on the rubble and the dirt pile. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, might actually suit the Waratahs a bit. But, uh, look, the Rebels still very strong. Uh, Waratahs having to make change with, with the inevitable absence of Israel Folau. Um Very difficult. I I think it'll be, it'll be the one where I expect the Rebels to just continue rolling and play well, but the Waratahs will finally find some form and, and pull it out. I think the Waratahs by a very, very slim margin. Really? That's bold. I don't know about that. I'm going to stay with the Rebels. I think they'll be rebounding. They'll get a few people back uh, this week. They'll have Jack Maddox back in there, and they'll be heading up to Sydney with something to prove. So I'll take the Rebels, but definitely a close one. Yeah, Rebels will be frustrated after their performance this weekend. Um, And look, Waratahs, I just think with the controversy around Israel Folau, I'm not sure that's going to help them. I think Rebels have been the hot team all year. There's a lot of pressure on the Waratahs to perform. I do think it's going to be really close. The the bookies even have the margin here at zero. They can't pick it, so they can't split these two teams at the moment. Um, but look, I think I'm going to take the Rebels. I think they've got more momentum with them. I think they've got a more settled team. And I and I do think if Quaid can really control this back line um, and get them firing again like they were a couple of weeks ago, I think they have enough to, to get over the top of the Waratahs. I, I agree that Quaid can definitely lead this Rebels team through, but... If nothing else, we saw uh, the Stormers bring a method to disrupt and and break down the Rebels' attack. 
a good team will take learnings from that that loss that the Rebels had last week and try and apply the same strategy uh, this week. So if the Waratahs are anywhere near as good as they probably think they are, then hopefully they'll they'll apply some of those learnings the Storm has had and, and I reckon they can trap the Rebels here. Keyword is a good team will do that. No, I think I think even if they implement that, unfortunately, they don't really have the size or physicality in their forwards to do what the Stormers seem to be able to do to hit back those big boys from the Rebels. So it will, it will definitely be a very interesting one to see. Um, the final the final game we have of the round and the Stormers hosting the Brumbies heading on to their first game on tour. And I can't... I think it's very hard to pick against the Stormers coming off that impressive win in Melbourne, getting back a few of their men. They've got players like in their back three like Willem Sir and Dylan Lade playing very well at the moment. And I think they're going to be able to hit the Brumbies that are going to be a little bit jet-lagged. They're going to be a little bit tired for this game and I don't think they'll be able to keep up with the Stormers. Yeah, it's tough this one. Both teams having to travel after playing in Australia. So it's it's a tough ask for both teams on that, that turnaround. But look, the Stormers, you'd have to think, coming back home um, with a really impressive win under their belts, they'd have a bit of buoyancy from that. But similarly, the Brumbies got a win against the Lions, so they'd be feeling good as well. I think it should be a... A pretty, I don't know, maybe a bit of an, a defensive encounter here. I'm going to take the home team, though, the Stormers. I think, you know, the Brumbies will be, you know, I think their forwards can really compete with this Stormers pack. But still, I think the Stormers will run away with it in the end. I'm taking the Stormers, and uh, I was just putting my margin in, and then I decided I'd add another five points to that margin because you just know the Stormers' back three are going to shred Henry's this is going to be the game where Henry Spade comes out and does dumb stuff, rushes up to try and contain, and gets flanked over and over and over. That's my tip. I reckon this is this is going to blow out a little bit toward the end. Um, a few defensive deficiencies on, on the fringes of the Brumbies will probably let them down, and, and the Storm has showed last week just how dangerous they are out wide. I think they'll capitalise on that. Is Henry Spade in the top five like defensive liabilities for Australian rugby, you reckon? Of the guys who make starting teams, yes. I mean, I'm a defensive liability if you want to put me on. He's the number one de- defensive liability. We know that. The Brumbies, I think We've he seen is. it so many times. Yeah. I, like, look, and nothing against Henry Spade. He has some great games as well. But every now and then, and I'm just feeling this one on tour, and with those guys, with those three in the backs of the spot, just, just see them absolutely tearing him up. And, uh, yeah. I think that's going to be the the route to a lot of points. If you could have your one on one like player last player in the line of defence, and you have like Willemser like running through, broken through, and you either can have Henry Spate defending, or you can have Bernard Foley defending. Who are you taking? Foley. Was that two Bernard Foley's? No, that's that's me just saying it immediately. <laughs> really? I'd still take Spate if it was like one-on-one direct but when he's like trying to cover two people on the wing and he's sliding or he just rushes up I don't know clean break though I think if, it, if he's got him in front of him and he can just hit him he, he can do. defend well <laughs> all right, if he's yeah, moving sideways like it's just make, yeah, make it a two-on-two two where all Henry Speed has to do is stay on the wide man oh yeah and, you're uh, done for you're done for right. no way and you take four. draw Henry Speed like make eye contact, draw Henry. You don't Spade, have to make eye contact. You just have to be in the general area. He'll be like, "What?" Like, oh, shit. 
Oh, I mean, you got to let him know <laughs> you're there because then he goes, oh, there's a guy inside. Oh, Every time. He loves a good chase back, Henry Spade. <laughs> that recovery chase where he's like, oh, no, I did it again. Um, in other news around town and the rapid rugby competition is continuing and the force after beating the South China Tigers 45-22, to back that up, beating the Asia-Pacific Dragons 42-10. to uh, Those are the last games in Perth for this uh, Asia part of the showcase and the Tigers are hosting the Dragons next week in Hong Kong. Uh, definitely saw some more talent from the South China Tigers in this one. Though they're wearing a pretty horrific strip going in the like light yellow colour, while the Asia Pacific Dragons definitely have a better strip going for this one. Uh, yeah, I oh, know. I agree that I agree that uh, that strip was unusual, uh, not not particularly flattering, not particularly imposing. But you know, that's it's a little bit flamboyant, which is the the nature of this rapid rugby competition. They're trying to entertain. You know, they've got the bright lights, the fireworks. Mm. All the rest, and and they want they want to set themselves apart as, as something different. They they're definitely doing that. Unfortunately, no uh no super tries on the weekend in this in this most recent fixture. It was a bit disappointing to see that scoreline go up. But when when they put up the summary and they're still willing to put up super tries for each team zero zero, then you know they're sticking with it. They're not trying to hide it. Uh, maybe they need to find a couple other ways to uh, open the game up and and bias the rules slightly to get a few more teams attacking out of their quarter because that's ultimately what they want to do they want to see teams giving it a crack from their from their line more often so um you know they're pretty open about that it's it's not about making the game um you know biased in a negative way it's just trying to it's it's basic sort of behavioral economic stuff it's just trying to motivate people to try this this line of attack more often. How do you how do you reward them more? Maybe more risk, but definitely more reward. Mm. Well, it'll be interesting to see how Hong Kong reacts to it this weekend. They obviously had the Hong Kong Sevens two weeks ago, and they always turn up in big for that. So we'll see if the expats get out for this game as well. Uh, be interesting with just two teams that aren't the Western Force playing as well. I think we may well see a bit more of an expansive game with that. But we'll keep an eye on it, and we'll keep you up to date with all those extra issues. That's pretty much all from us this week. Uh, We have another big round of rugby ahead. Uh, Hopefully my two brothers will be able to maybe keep up with me in my tipping because they're not doing too well so far. Uh, But we'll give them every chance. (laughs) Um, All the old tipping where it's just points for for tipping a winner and all this margin stuff. It's too... Too too complicated for you. Too complicated for you. Oh, it's not complicated, but it's bloody difficult when they're they're resting players and teams and... Uh, underdogs are blowing teams out by 40 points. It's crazy. So, could still tip a could still tip a winner pretty often though, unless they're South African. Unless they're South African, yeah, 25 percent for one in four for South African derby is a bad record to have so far. Yeah, it's not great compared yeah. to 75 percent tips for any games not involving a South team. <laughs> Get rid of the South Africans. They're ruining my tipping. There you go. You had it here first. Leo wants the South Africans See, out. It's 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 only easier then because it'll just be always the New Zealand team. All right. Um, as always, you can keep up with all the extra news and everything coming out on Instagram and Twitter at the Running Rugby Podcast and on Twitter at the Running Rugby Pod. Follow us and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, as well as Google Play. We're on all the major platforms, guys. Make sure to subscribe to us and let your friends know. 
Uh, we'll be back next week with all the latest news and we'll be able to probably wrap up this Falao controversy. We'll have a final decision for you. But until then, keep on running. Run.